When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. You know, the doctor told me to take the Xanax, and so I, I started mixing alcohol with Xanax, and before you knew it, I, you know, I would say in five years in TNA, I, I got four DUIs. I was out oh, of control. I wow. uh, didn't... You know, didn't have, didn't take any responsibility. My wife told me, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave you unless you go to rehab. And I, I was going to lose my family and my job. Support for Knocking Doors Down is brought to you by Manscaped. Who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming? Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code KDD. Your balls will thank you. Inside the 5150 studio, this is Knocking Doors Down. Your host, Jason Lachance, with a background of uh, alcoholism, some childhood trauma, a divorce, some financial issues, and more. And my co-host, Mikey Naraki, is no different. What is going on, people? And Mikey's been through uh, some uh, different substance abuse issues himself, as well as some financial troubles. But, Mikey, we take all that, make it our advantage do something positive exactly that's right and that's exactly what knocking doors down is all about and today we speak with kurt angle that's right it's true it's true it's damn true (laughs) uh brit having broken his neck five times over his career of course first prior to uh going to the olympics where he won a gold medal four times while uh being a professional wrestler it eventually led towards his uh, substance abuse of various painkillers as well as alcohol uh, multiple DUIs and, of course, a divorce. But uh, Mr. Angle is doing amazing, and uh, that's what we talk with him about. I'm not justifying painkillers or anything like that, but after breaking your neck that many times, I mean, it sounds kind of inevitable that you would get hooked on shit like that. Yeah, well, we definitely get into why we'll that get is. into it, so. yeah, you guys will find out. And, of course, if you are following us on social media or seeing us on the YouTube channel... You can see we're wearing 5150 gear. That's right, 5150LTM.com, lifestyle with a purpose. So make sure you guys check it out. All right, Kurt Angle for you. Mikey. Jason. It's true. It's damn true. On the Knocking Doors Down podcast, Kurt Angle, how are you, good sir? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. You look amazing. I I follow. Yeah, you're making your... me feel really bad about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to get in the just gym. Just try to take care of myself as I get older. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, well, well, we got a lot of of great things we're going to talk about. Of course, we want to talk about uh, you know your recovery process to me. Uh, without knowing and a mentor and an inspiration to me, as I've been a, a fan of yours all the way back from your 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 amateur wrestling days and Olympic competition throughout professional wrestling and so on. Um, but uh, how, how are you doing now? You got so many great 
projects going on. Um, you, let's fill people in on those a little bit before we get into some of the nuts and bolts. Well, I, I have a, a, a fitness, or I should say a supplement company called Physically Fit Nutrition. We sell um, these uh, chicken snacks. They're, they're engineered from chicken breast, and they are made into a Chex Mix, mix type of uh, texture. And we flavor them with different flavors: uh, sriracha, honey barbecue, buffalo blue, buffalo wing blue cheese, um, cinnamon swirl. Uh, they're really good. It's a great product. So we, we've been busting that out for the last six months and uh, trying to make it work. Yeah. If people want to find out more about that, where can they go? Go to physicallyfit.com. Uh, you can follow them on. Physically Fit Nutrition, at Physically Fit Nutrition on Instagram. Excellent. Very cool. Excellent. Well, a lot of the stuff that when we put out, we were going to talk with you, Kurt, people really want to know of, um, there's a great question, an individual by the name of Tom. He wanted to, to get your perspective on um, how you're doing with sobriety now. Obviously, you probably still even have some of the residual pain, which, which we want to get into a little bit later. But how are you doing with that? How did and does, does therapy play a part into it? And, you know, and, and, and just really overall, how are you dealing with uh, that day in and day out that people may not understand of, of those that, of us that have suffered with addiction, how we deal with it? Well, you know, when I first got out of rehab, it was, it was a struggle. Uh, you know, I was so scared of messing up again that I literally did not mess up. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was... Mm -hmm. It was really hard, it, it, but every, you know, every year it got a little bit easier and a little bit easier. The longer in your you're in your recovery, the easier it gets. Uh, it, it's never easy completely, but you know, it gets easier as time goes on. Yeah. Well, do you find that you know uh, being able to focus on new projects like you're doing now? Obviously, you know, you're a family man, lovely wife. Uh, five kids or is it six kids? I have six kids. Yes. Right. Uh, wow. two to my first marriage and four to my second marriage. One's adopted, uh -huh. uh, but I spend a lot of time with that. I, that that's how I take up my time during the day is I spend a lot of time with my kids and my wife. Uh, we do a lot of events together and, uh, try to make this virus thing less boring. So, yeah. We, you know, we, we do whatever we can to entertain each other. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, with that, you know, I've, I've also stayed busy with my supplement business. I was in WWE for up until last year, I right. retired. Uh, so that's, that's long gone for me, but, um, right now I'm working on a TV show that, uh, WWE will possibly do. And, um, I'm pretty excited about that. That is cool. Is there anything more you can tell us about it? Or for now, that's, that's no, all Kurt can say. I can't, can't tell you much about it right now, no. <laughs> you know what? yes. I always had a question, too. Like, so you retired from the WWE. Do you, are, do you still watch it? Or is it kind of like you miss it so you can't watch it? Or how, how does that work for you personally? Uh, you know what? I, I couldn't watch it for a little while. Mm -hmm. You know, after I retired, it, it was hard to watch. Sure, I can imagine. But, I started watching um, this year, and uh, you know I have a lot of friends that are still in it, yeah, so I keep yeah. in touch with them. Sure. 
And, uh, you know, I just, I have an interest in pro wrestling, just like I do amateur wrestling. It's, it's always going to be, you know, uh, a, a huge interest of mine. So Absolutely. I, uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm also doing a podcast. I, I'm starting it tomorrow. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of had to start watching the, the wrestling. <laughs> you know, I watched WWE, Raw, and SmackDown, and AEW, and try to keep up with the current events of wrestling. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's exciting. I guess, uh, you know, I'll be one of your early subscribers because, uh, you know, I think uh, beyond anything related to uh, to recovery and overcoming adversity, that's my next uh, my next addiction. I know probably a little too much about about the profession for, you know, never having actually been in the ring other than falling and go, son of a bitch, that hurts. Just to take a flat back. <laughs> Taking a bump. Yes. Bumps hurt. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize how, how much it affects you. It's, you know, it definitely does long-term damage, if you know what I mean. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hurting from it, you know, now in my life, you know, being over 50 years old, uh, my body's pretty beat up. Yeah. So I, I have to do a lot of maintenance training. Is the neck one of the primary areas for, for people that don't know? I mean, the story's infamous, you know, as you always said, won an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck. Uh, which was in 96 and of course you know documented yes. that you were having to get novocaine shots at that time yeah i was i got a healing agent uh, be, uh before the olympics you know i broke my neck at the u.s open and mm. the olympics came around a couple months later and uh i i had to get a, a healing agent it wasn't a steroid because that's illegal in the olympics right. mm -hmm. but um they also decided to bring a doctor with me to uh, my events and uh, he would stick me in the neck with 12 shots of Novocaine so I couldn't feel the pain while I was wrestling and uh, an hour later I was in excruciating pain I can't so imagine it, it, I suffered dearly but you know I made it through and you know I, I had to go for the Olympics I mean it, it was might have been my only opportunity so I had to follow through with it I you know even risking you know permanent damage to my neck uh it didn't matter i just i wanted it so badly that i was gonna go for the olympic gold medal yeah well it, can we touch a little bit too on some of the interesting stuff that that occurred around that time um that people may not know your alignment with uh with david schultz who who you said was a mentor really after your father's passing i think you were about 16 when your father had an unfortunate accident at work if i recall Yes, he had a construction accident. He fell uh, off a scaffold, landed on his head, and uh, cracked his uh, his um, his uh, head, you know, his skull, <clears throat> and uh, broke both of his shoulders. And he, by the time he got to the hospital, he was in a coma. Mm -hmm. So there was no no way of uh, saving him. It was it was a pretty sad event. Yeah. Well, and was that, you know, was that a really tumultuous, obvious, I couldn't, couldn't imagine um, going through that. Of course, you know, you, you, you're one of uh, many siblings in the Engel family and probably the stress upon, uh, let alone your mom and, and all of your siblings. Um, what was that like for you then? What was it like to have David Schultz come into your life as a mentor, you know, Olympic uh, wrestler himself and, and train you? 
Well, you know, my, uh, my dad, he was, uh, he was, he was the one that got me into sports and he, it, he was very interested in sports. We all had to play sports. That was a must in our family. And, uh, my dad worked very hard, 12 hours a day. Uh, he was a laborer and he also, um, he basically uh, went to every one of my sporting events. He was really adamant about that. So uh, he was a good father uh, from that perspective. The issue was he was, when he wasn't working or at my sporting event, he was drinking and, mm. you know, he would drink till he passed out. So I didn't spend a lot of time with him. I didn't really get to know him. Uh, not very affectionate man. He, you know, he always said, you know, no hugs, shake hands like a man. So uh, he was kind of a man's man, and I never got really attached to him. And, uh, you know, when I lost him, yeah, it was, it hurt. But, you know, I, I realized that, uh, you know, I didn't want to be him. Uh, not that he wasn't a good dad. He really was. But I didn't want to be that guy that would pass out every night uh, when they're, you know, when the after supper, when, the kids are home and they could spend time with their parents. So, uh, you know, I, it, it, it was, it was tough, but yeah. you know, not, not being, uh, having that relationship with my father, I wasn't quite as attached, sure. but Dave, Dave came in, you know, he, I started, um, uh, on Foxcatcher in 1988 mm -hmm. and, uh, that was the club where Dave was murdered by yeah. the, the heir, John DuPont. Right. And um, Dave was great. He taught me so much about wrestling and about life. He was he was a great role model, uh, someone I very much looked up to. I learned everything from him. And, you know, if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't have won the gold medal. But he, he got murdered six months before the Olympics. So. Right. I, uh, you know, I was kind of on my own after that because I separated myself from the club. Uh, I didn't want uh, the blood money. So mm -hmm. I decided to quit the club and uh, which DuPont was still running it because he wanted people to think that we were taking advantage of him uh, when he was, you know, mentally not right. Yeah. So uh, it was the best thing was for me to leave. But Dave was awesome. I he taught me enough that before the Olympics, six months before, you know, I I could teach myself the rest of the time. Right. He he taught me enough that I was able to educate myself what I need to do to get ready for the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, well, and of course, people if they haven't seen there, there is a, you know a lot of uh, a great film, of course, that the you know Foxcatcher on the whole situation. But um, how did you? I, I just I couldn't imagine with someone you know losing your dad, um, although not you know emotionally connected like you said a man's man which you know I can relate there that uh, an individual said that you know our parents era I'm I'm not that much younger than you Kurt but that they uh, they were just emotionally immature especially men that there wasn't that but then you have this mentor that come in and then it's it's another tragedy. How did you maintain a mental and emotional focus with this loss? Because it, it wasn't that long of a time from losing your father than, than losing David either. It was, it was hard to deal with. I, you know, it, I, I just had to suck it up. 
I mean, you know, losing Dave, uh, you know, I got a little scared because I didn't know who I was going to turn to. I mean, we had other coaches, so it, that wasn't really an issue. But uh, Dave was special, and he was very unique. And, uh, you know, it, I, I probably was hurt as badly about Dave as I was about my dad, considering I had no connection with my father, but I love my father very much. Yeah. But I, you know, I had, you know, I had a connection to Dave that was a little better than my dad, much stronger than my dad. So, um, you know, we were we were really good friends, and uh, he was a great father figure for me. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about so after winning the Olympic gold medal, there you were. Uh, the WWE WWF at the time reached out for you to. Uh, to take on professional wrestling. And uh, what was your initial reaction? I mean, you've shared some of the stories before, uh, but <laughs> let, let's flash back to that moment as opposed to your perspective on professional wrestling now. Well, I after I won the Olympics, I, I went on a media tour and I was doing, you know, the Jay Leno show, Conan O'Brien show, just doing all the media, Regis and Kathy Lee, and uh, during that time, WWE, uh, Vince McMahon, called my agent and said they were interested in giving me a 10-year contract, a multi-million dollar contract. And my agent brought me into his office and he said, you're not going to do this. This is, this is fake wrestling. You're, a real, you're the real deal. Uh, I, I don't want you doing it. So I said, okay, but that's a lot of money. He said... <laughs> we'll get you something else. And well, they, he did, he got me a sports casting job in Pittsburgh for Fox. And uh, I did that for a year. Didn't work out very well, but I turned down the offer from Vince and I spent the year doing broadcasting and about a half a year after that, and right, right around 1998, I decided to contact WWE and ask if that offer still stood. And they said, uh, I talked to Jim Ross, who okay. was the town relations director at the time. And he said, no, you're going to have to come and try out. Oh, and I said, well, I'm used to that. I'm used to proving myself. So I, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. So I, I passed up a great money opportunity, but you know, I, I, I ended up doing pretty well anyway. And I made just as much money as I would have made, even if I would have started in 96. So it, it was I went up and tried out, and uh, the first day, I I just picked up on everything so quickly, the bumping and the selling, and uh, they offered me a deal right away. And it, it wasn't the multi-million dollar deal. <laughs> I was just going to say, was it the same what they originally <laughs> offered you? <laughs> no, $75,000 <laughs> a year. That was the wow. offer. So, and, you know, it's 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 good money it's not great money but it's you know it's good money but but you know i i had to travel so the wwe and these companies they don't pay for your hotel and rental car and food uh, they pay for the hotel or the airfare only so you have to you have expenses and you know that seventy five thousand didn't last very long Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, that was when I started. I was training. They were they were paying me seventy five thousand uh, dollars. After a year, I started on TV and uh, started getting paid more. The guaranteed stayed the same, but 
the more you work, the more money you make. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do 300 dates a year, you're going to, you're going to make a great amount of money. I mean, you know, you're, you're at least getting a thousand dollars for each show. And right. that's, that's a low end We're, you know, pay-per-views are getting a lot more money. So, uh, and TV is a lot more money. So it's, right. it's, um, it was, it was, it was tough at the beginning, but you know, once I started on TV, everything got better. Yeah. Well, and I, re- I've, I remember it so well when you were first coming out and I, I was if, uh, uh, still one of those guys who was fans of the white meat baby face. Like even when the rock came out, when you first right. came out and I'm like, this is so cool. An Olympic gold medal, you know, and then here there are people yeah. are booing you. How did you, you handle that? Because it's such a different situation going from, Hey, when you were out there in the real arena of the Olympics, as opposed to the entertainment form, that it's like, what the fuck? I'm an Olympic gold medalist. Why are you right. booing me? Well, pl- Vince planted a seed. Uh, we did a bunch of pre-tapes before I started, and they were they were like motivational videos. They were really cheesy, and uh, you looked at me and said, "Ah, you know, this guy." is maybe too good to be true and it it was one of those things where vince made the fans not really trust me and uh think you know there's something weird about this guy and uh you know preaching the three eyes intensity integrity and and intelligence and uh you know telling everybody i'm their olympic hero and i came to save them and you know it just made the fans sick (laughs) uh, it worked extremely well vince Vince used the same uh, ingredients he did for The Rock, right. but with The Rock, he tried. He wanted him to be a babyface, and the fans turned on him right away. So he used the same uh, ammo to make the fans turn on me, but he wanted them to. He wanted me to be healed. So uh, he he knew that eventually I would be a babyface, but he wanted to start me out as a heel, and it, it worked extremely well. The promos, you know, I was, I was ignorant and you know, idiotic. I was goofy, and you know, uh, sometimes pretty entertaining. But <laughs> yep. you know, at times I was getting on, on people's nerves, so it it was a lot of fun. It was the funnest time I had. My very first year on TV, I couldn't wait to get to TV every week. It was just something new every week. It, whether it was a you know, a, a great promo or a great match or a pay-per-view match or, you know, it was a lot of pre-tapes I did that were funny and entertaining. And it was just uh, so much fun. It, it was, I was like a kid in a candy store. It was really cool. And, and it showed through even still to this day, which uh, I think you had one of the best closings of a Hall of Fame speech ever and then doing the milk like you did when you mocked Stone Cold Steve Austin's beer toast. And uh, yeah, it, it was great stuff. Did it affect you psychologically or did Vince really lay it out for you that, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. Keep in mind it's entertainment. They're booing you. Take it the same as cheers because some people, you know, I know for me, I'm kind of a fragile guy. If I was put in that position as like people booing me, I don't know how I would have Oh, you'd be upset. It. You'd yeah. be upset. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I didn't care. I, I was just doing my job. Did you and- hear it? Did you hear it at all? Or were you just so zoned in on what you had to do and all that? No, like, I – well – in pro wrestling, you you need to show emotion. Sure, you need sure. To show fans, so you you have to respond to their cheers and boos. Uh-huh. 
whether you're happy or you're angry, you know, or pissed off at the fans for them booing you or whatever, it was, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't easy, but, uh, you know, you get used to it. Everybody in the business actually wants to be a heel. Sure. Um, Wait, sorry. So what's even the though, bad guy? Heel. Okay, the heel's bad a bad guy, guy and the baby <laughs> face is a good guy. Yes. Gotcha. Sorry. Okay, yeah. sorry. So it, it's just a lot more fun to be ignorant and, you know, insult people, um, you know, having them respond negatively. It, it, it was pretty cool. I, I You know, you, you feel like he created something that wasn't there. Right. And, that, you know, that's that's a that's a good tribute to me i mean i i did it right by the you know at least i thought so yeah yeah well because i mean it's one of those things that maybe people don't understand about the profession that it is you know it's it is athletics it's performance art it's entertainment all wrapped in one and an example of how the much the fans are such a huge interaction of that is when the you suck chant started to your entrance music Yes, that, that all started when Edge uh, came up to me and apologized to me in a pre-tape, and he had these signs where they were pictures of me winning the, the world title, and on the back of it, it would say, you suck, <laughs> and I'd be holding it, and the arrow would be pointed toward me, and, and uh, Edge came out and did a promo the next week and said, these fans shouldn't chant angle during your music, they should chant, you suck. Because the 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 theme of my song, you know, da da, yeah, angle or you suck. <laughs> so the fans started chanting that, and I, I acted like I was so pissed off. Uh, every week they were doing it louder and louder. It was it was incredible. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, a real badge of honor for sure. That's crazy how people would want to <laughs> yeah. be a bad guy. Because I remember watching it as a kid, and like you would see five or six heels if you will just beating somebody up right and you're just waiting you you see the fans start looking this way when you're watching it but once you heard like the and then austin would run out like i always thought it was cool to be like the baby face everyone loves you you know you're the hero but everyone wanting to be the heel like i just i wouldn't expect that that's crazy well you know it's just a little it's a little more challenging and it's less pressure um, that's understandable you know, when you're a baby face and you don't get over you don't get over as a baby face meaning get popular mm-hmm. you're most likely gonna lose your job yeah so that makes sense uh, being a heel is you know uh you if the fans don't like you and you're a heel at least they really they don't like you for real but being a heel is working so yeah yeah uh, you know, it's just easier to accept than being a babyface and nobody responding to you. Yeah, no, for sure. And I would imagine it'd be super easy to be healed. Just whatever city you're in, just say like, California, you suck. You know what I mean? Just something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. Automatically, everyone it's in California hates you. <laughs> very, very easy. You yeah. pick on their sports teams. Yeah, you tell exactly. Them how much they suck. Yeah, it's, sports it's teams, pretty yeah. basic, but it works. It yeah. works really well. Yeah, there's a lot of basics to it, but you had so many great nuances just to your natural personality and, of course, including – 
I don't know how you developed it. I don't know if you've always had a great sense of humor your whole life, but you just had great comedic timing. I mean, a lot of the, you know, you got it in the background for those that are watching this on the YouTube, the, you know, the little cowboy hat, the, the shit you did yeah. with Steve Austin with that. Uh, you just developed this comedic timing that was so dry that, you know, we're sitting, we're talking to you and you're such a jovial person, but it was so dry. That, was there anyone that you kind of emulated that humor after? Or you just kind of found your own rhythm? Well, I didn't even know I had the personality. I, I wasn't a goofy person. I wasn't a funny kid. Uh, you know, when I started in WWE, they just kind of formed a character that I connected to. And it was, you know, it, it wasn't that easy it was you know it was it was hard to adapt to but uh once i got the ball rolling i was good to go i mean it's you know once once you're in that zone and you're focused on what character you're going to be and how you're going to portray it you just do your thing and it worked extremely well more with Kurt Angle coming up for you. We'll ask him about the tragic loss of his sister due to addiction. What was his peak of substance abuse? Plus some fun random questions that we asked Kurt. And uh, can we get Kurt to curse? You'll have to listen and find out. We'll be right back with more of Kurt Angle. Support for Knocking Doors Down is brought to you by Manscaped. Who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming? Manscaped, they offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Hey, Mikey, you ever, like, cut your face when you're shaving and then you got to do the little, like, pin thing or put the tissues on it? Oh, yeah, a little piece of toilet paper there. Wouldn't you want to avoid that for your Johnson? Because we don't want to have any cuts, nicks, scratches, or scrapes. Well, that's happened before, and let me tell you, it's the fucking worst. <laughs> there is nothing worse. But uh, it would be even worse to have that tissue on your sack if you nick yourself. That's right. You want to impress that significant other and be all groomed and trimmed and ready to go whenever hibbity-dibbity starts. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. That's right. And check it out. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. All right. Let's get that bush to tush clean. Rooter to the tutor. Get 20% off free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. Make your testies their besties. That's right. And when I tell you it is premium, I mean premium. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. Waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. Plus, it's got an LED light. How cool is that? Which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. Well, they've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology, so that ain't half bad, Jason. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code KDD. Your balls will thank you. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. 
Um, rewinding just a little bit, Kurt. So when you first decided to pursue the WWF at the time now, WWE, were you a little bit hesitant just due to the neck problems you had suffered previously in the Olympics? Like, did that kind of worry you like, nah, I've already, I know this is going to suck when I'm older, but going into the WWE, did that cross your mind? Like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Like, uh, we'll see. I, you know what? I took I took a year and a half off mm-hmm. before I started back or went to WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my neck was completely healed. Oh, okay. Um, that wasn't that wasn't an issue. Uh, but you know, I I ended up breaking my neck four more times in WWE. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's when the painkillers started, and yeah. you know the drinking and sure. everything. So. It was, you know, I got introduced to painkillers the second time I broke my neck, which was the first time in WWE, was in 2003. And I was introduced to painkillers by a doctor, and I I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second I took it, I, I was hooked. Um, you know, I, I would take one every four or six hours, and after a few weeks, that didn't work. So I doubled it to two, then I doubled it to four, then doubled it to eight. And as time moved on, I I got myself in such a huge ditch. I was taking 65 extra strength like it in a day. Shit. And uh, I, it, it was an expensive drug habit. Uh, it was, you know, I was I was spending a lot of money uh, getting these. And I, uh, you know, I I struggled quite a bit. So um, I I didn't get it under control till I left the WWE in 2006. And uh, I I got my painkiller problem at least um, under control where I was taking um, morphine sulfate, one pill twice a day. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only problem was I ended up going to a smaller company so I could work part-time instead of being full-time in WWE. And, uh, I started, everybody there drank, <laughs> drank <laughs> alcohol. Sure. So, um, you know, when I started, I, I started drinking with them and my, my addiction went from, you know, one thing to another, from painkillers to alcohol. And then I started taking Xanax because I had um, a lot of, um, uh, I was very nervous about my neck. I mean, I did break it five times. Sure, yeah. So I, uh, you know, I was having uh, a lot of anxiety and I wanted to, uh, you know, the doctor told me to take the Xanax. And so I, I started mixing alcohol with Xanax. And before you knew it, I, you know, I would say in five years in TNA, I, I got four DUIs. I was out of control. Uh, didn't, you know, didn't have, didn't take any responsibility. Um, my wife told me, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave you unless you go to rehab. And uh, I was going to lose my family and, uh, and my job. And I didn't want that to happen. So I checked into rehab in 2013 mm-hmm. and uh, I've been clean ever since. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, people don't uh, uh, really understand of how the, the the pills like Vicodin and um, things can really take hold of you because, like you said, you build up a tolerance. And um, one of the things that still amazed me, I know when I went to shit 
Kurt, with with alcohol. I, I was a, a nighttime drinker and just, you know, almost couldn't function the next day because of the DTs and definitely my my physical health, any exercise routine and all that went went to hell. Did you kind of have that same struggle where you started having days off or was it already a, a total mode because, you know, you're just one of those kind of superhuman people because I followed you from WWE to TNA and, and back to where you were still performing, as far as I could tell from an onlooker, at an amazing level. Well, I, I, um, I didn't... I didn't take, um, I didn't drink alcohol before my matches or, you know, if I took uh, any painkillers or pills or whatever, I did it earlier in the day and then I would do it after the event. Mm. So I, uh, it didn't affect my work. It, mm. it only uh, affected the rest of my life, which <laughs> right. you know was more important than, than anything else. But, um, I had to, uh, <clears throat> I had a hard time with it. It was, it's really difficult for me. Yeah. If you don't mind my asking, what did the Xanax get up to daily? You're at 65 a day for Vicodin. How was it pretty right around the same? No, it couldn't have been 65 Xanax a day. That'd be. No, I, I didn't. I only took, um, I would take a Xanax in the morning uh -huh. and then I would save the rest for the evening sure. when I, when I drank, which was three, I, I was taking four a day. So mm -hmm. I throw three down and drink the 12 pack of beer. So I, I got pretty high yeah. and, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was a huge mistake, but you know, it's something I, it made me stronger in the long run. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it was of course, one of the things we always want to point out of the, the, the positive side of recovery for anyone. When you, when you went into, uh, rehab, you know, you talked about your dad as a, as a man's man and, and not wanting to uh, emulate him, you know, the drinking in front of, you know, you and your siblings, your mom. Um, how did you have to get really vulnerable and start tapping into emotions? Because clearly you, ha you had some traumas. I mean, you know, you loved your dad, maybe not the strong emotion as uh, emotional as far as him, you know, that one on one losing David, you know, who, who Schultz, who was murdered. Um was it a new thing for you kind of therapy coming from, you know, that generation of man's man, just deal with it bearing down where you were finally having to communicate emotions and feelings. And well, I, I was, you know, I didn't get really affected from my dad and Dave. The one thing that did really affect me was when my sister died of a heroin overdose. Oh, shit. The same year I started the painkillers. Um, she, uh, she, um, you know, passed away and she OD'd on, uh, heroin. So we, you know, it was, that was the toughest thing I had to deal with. And, uh, when that happened, I, you know, that's when I started really taking a lot more painkillers and, uh, you know, her death really affected me. That was, that was one that I had a hard time with. Yeah. So it was definitely that, that, uh, you know, when it's, a lot of those that don't suffer with addiction may not understand per se, but we, we are trying to so much escape our reality as is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to get away. I, I, I wanted to be numb all day and all night. Mm -hmm. It was, it was very difficult. And I was in a really bad marriage too. And, um, you know, when I was home, I was always high because I didn't, 
I'm going to deal with the marriage. So uh, that that affected me quite a bit as well. Yeah, me and Jason know about bad relationships, huh? <laughs> Just a little bit, <laughs> you know. But own my contribution to said bad relationships, you know. I've kind of my drinking definitely definitely fucked up a you know well you know was a contributor right. to, to, to my 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 divorce and then my other long term relationship post divorce. You know those uh, those poor ladies are still gracious to me to this day, but uh, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's I said the same thing, Kurt. It's fucking weird. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> because they know I'm not that a total weird. They, 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 they know I'm not a total prick when I'm sober. It's when I'm when I'm drinking and I'm the asshole. You know. Oh shit. So. I'm a total prick when I am sober. <laughs> I somehow I highly doubt that. Yeah, you seem like a nice guy. <laughs> guy who can kill me in one hit, but you seem nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't, don't, don't ever. It was funny. We had some people asking questions. You know, they're like, have Kurt put you in the ankle lock? I'm like, well, unfortunately, we're not doing it in person with him. And I ain't letting him do that shit. I don't even care if it's a working move. Ain't no way. I, I know. A, we're not doing it in person. And B, no. <laughs> no. Why the fuck would I have him put me in an ankle lock? I'd rather get a picture with him in an autograph or something, but not an ankle lock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kurt, can I, I want to ask you? You don't. You did a great appearance with with Stone Cold on the WWE Network, and and made reference to you know Goldberg coming back and having another run. But near the top of our conversation, um, we're we're pretty much done. Not, we're not going to get a see another run of maybe Kurt with the gold, and you know, uh, probably not. Yeah. I my body's you know my body's pretty beat up. Um, I, right now, I'm just trying to stay healthy and uh, keep my body healthy. And, you know, I have a lot, lot of pain in my knees, my back, my neck, shoulders. It's, uh, it's pretty difficult. Uh, you know, I, I paid the price for a, a long-ass career. I, I wrestled amateur for 20 years, and I wrestled pro for 20 years. And it's taking a toll on me. Yeah. Amazingly, amazing toll on me. So when you wake up every morning, one being the least, ten being excruciating, what what's what's the good day for you today? I wake up feeling good. Oh good. My good. body gets worse as the day goes on. <laughs> right. So right, the, right. The, the gravity uh is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it makes uh, the 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 joints start to hurt. And so it, it, you know, waking up isn't so bad. It's the end of the night, the end of the day that I just want to get back in bed and lay down. Sure, um, sure. When I wake up, I, I do a bunch of maintenance training. I do my neck traction, uh, the rollers for the, my legs and back and uh, anti-gravity machine that I have a massage gun I use. Uh, geez, I, I do a lot of stuff. I, I do uh, these uh, sandbags where I, my my legs are bent. Uh, I they they won't straighten out completely because my knee injuries. Mm. So I'm trying to get them to straighten out as much as I can, and I use the sandbags, the 25 pound sandbags, to put on my knees while I uh, have them between two chairs. Mm. And uh, it's you know I I do a lot of stuff. I go to the gym and stretch and. Uh, lift and do cardio. I spend a lot of time of the day doing the maintenance training. Mm -hmm. 
Now, is that doing that maintenance training? Does that really help with the the part of maintaining your sobriety through a lot of this pain? That was a question that that several uh, listeners wanted to know. Uh, repeat the question. I'm sorry. Yeah, no problem. Uh, now, Something does, came into the room. <laughs> now, does does focusing like you do every day? I mean, it just sounds incredibly disciplined. Again, you know, for those who can't see it or maybe watching on YouTube, Kurt, you still look amazingly jacked in amazing shape. I've never been in that close to that good a shape at any point in my life. <laughs> but is focusing like that? Does that help you give? give a real real target because like uh, for instance in you know Carlos Vieira's book we're going to send you knocking doors down for him he got involved in in racing uh, stock cars and it gave him a focus away from everything else for for me it it was taking on different things like jujitsu and and uh, archery and different stuff does that really kind of help you focus that you have this regimen to not have any sort of relapse of any kind oh without a doubt you know the the busier you are you know, working on your body and doing things during the day and trying to do certain things at night. Um, it, it's really important. You, you know, it, it, you when you stay busy, when you keep your mind, you know, focused on something important, uh, you don't think about, you know, uh, relapsing. You, you know, you, you're worried about the task at hand. And uh, yeah, the, the training definitely helps me stay clean, but it also scares the hell out of me because, you know, the pain I go through is, you know, sometimes it's just unbearable. And, you know, I, of course I want to take something, but I, I just won't do it. I, I refuse to take another drug. So I, you know, I do what I, I do the best I can and uh, try to stay focused on positive things. Yeah. And what kind of support system do you have when it's a hard day? Is it turning to the misses? Is it just the time with the kids? Or do you have external people from the home? You know, was, was NAAA ever part of that therapy, continual therapy, any of that stuff? I did AA for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just, um, it, it, it worked for me. But, you know, there are, there are a lot of people there that you know, just wanted my autograph and, sure. you know, were excited. I felt like a distraction. Um, so I started uh, an app uh, called um, Angle Strong, uh, where I would um, bring people together and have a monthly meeting call with them and uh, talk about my addiction and my recovery and the, my sobriety and talk about their addictions, recovery and sobriety. Uh, that helped me quite a bit. But we, we, the, the app became, uh, didn't really work that well. We had about 300 individuals on the app, but uh, the, the doctor that created it wanted to charge people monthly, mm. and uh, that didn't work. <laughs> so uh, ever since the app, we, we stopped that about three years ago. Uh, I just been talking to my wife, uh, communicating with my brothers who've had problems with alcohol and drugs. Uh, they're a great support system. Uh, my family's a great support system. So um, they they uh, know the right things to say, uh, especially mm -hmm. when I'm hurting. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, well, we got a couple of uh, questions uh, from, from listeners here. Uh, Zach wants to know, what is your favorite WWE match? Hell, I wanted to know that too. 
Uh, mine personally, like when I when I was in or a match. Yeah, your your personal favorite match you were in. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite. Uh, the, I, I have three of them. It's it's really hard to pick. Uh, Royal Rumble 2003 for the world title against Chris Benoit. Yeah. Um, it was it was uh, it was a magical match. It was, it was Chris Benoit was a mirror image of me. He was really intense, very physical, very technical. Uh, I really enjoyed working with him. You know, unfortunately, the situation with him and his family. Right. Uh, was just very sad, but um, I'd say Shawn Michaels WrestleMania 21. Oh, great! Uh, or uh, Undertaker No Way Out 2006. Oh, uh, all of those three matches were my best three performances. Yeah. Uh, uh, who was uh, uh, Jason, the host of Knocking Doors Down, wants to know who surprised you as one of the toughest son of a bitches in the ring? Uh. Well, you know, The Rock, he was, he was, uh, he wasn't just athletic. He was a really tough, tough guy. He, um, you know, he, he was physical and, uh, you know, knowing him and, you know, how good looking he is, <laughs> and how charming he is. Uh, he's a badass. He really is. He, he, uh, and when he gets mad, he, he really, <laughs> you know, he's going to let you know. It's it's pretty cool. But Stone Cold Steve Austin is another badass. Yeah. Uh, he, of course, you could tell he is. So for sure. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty transparent. Yeah. Um, Undertaker, uh, one of the toughest dudes I ever met. He, uh, he can fight. That guy is, uh, you know, he, like uh, one time on an airplane, uh, we were flying home from a in, international trip, and Vince McMahon kept, um, you know, jumping on me while I was sleeping, <laughs> trying to wrestle. And I, I would, I would hold him down and say, "Are we good?" And he'd say, "Okay, we're done." And he kept doing it. So uh, after about ten times, I got him down and. Undertaker woke up and saw me on Vince. He thought I was beating him up. <laughs> and uh, he came behind me, picked me up, and started choking me out. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and, uh, it's a fucking joke, Undertaker. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he he got me. He got me with, uh, good with that one. But, you know, Undertaker... Uh, is one of the toughest guys I've ever met. He really is. I was, I was thinking about this in my head of how I was going to ask you. Like, were you ever intimidated in fighting people like The Undertaker, being as big as he was, or Kane, or like Viscera? He scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. That dude was just he. He just yeah. <laughs> scared me. But then I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, you probably weren't because you're a fucking gold medalist. Like, this is what you do. Like, well, I'm not, you're not afraid of nobody. <laughs> so. I guess yeah, that well, I, I'm a gold medalist. Okay, <laughs> that that's a plus. Right, I, I know how to protect myself. I know how to fight. Sure, uh, but I personally knew these guys and their personalities. Okay, the real personality. <clears throat> right. So it wasn't that hard to switch it off and say, you know, Undertaker isn't really Undertaker. He's Mark Calloway. Right. And uh, you know, Kane is not Kane. He's Glenn Jacobs. Right. And it, it's just. You know, you get to know them personally and you become friends with them. You're not really affected by their characters. Right. Yeah. This is just us looking into your world. You know what I mean? Like when I when I think of Undertaker, I think of just, you know, 
the bells and then the low hat and then he went to American Badass and then back but it was just like I can't imagine being in the ring with that big dude like it's just yeah he's, oh my gosh yeah. but yeah that that puts it in he, he can go too yeah, yeah. he's yeah. he's one of the best athletes I've ever wrestled he uh he could fly. He, I mean, yeah. he, I, you know, he's done head first dives over the top rope outside of the ring. Right. His athleticism is just incredible. He's, he's the full package. Yeah. The legit six, nine, six, 10, over 300 pounds. And he's doing this. Yeah. Without a doubt. You're right. Yeah. Well, and people don't understand, maybe for those that are, you know, that are that are not as much in wrestling and haven't worked around it, you know, there's a few times I saw where somebody got a potato for for those who don't know, that's really clocking a guy a little more than you were a supposed stiffy, to. Yeah. Yeah, and then the receipt comes, which is that return hit. Do you have any funny stories about maybe potatoing someone and getting a receipt? No, I, you know what? Uh usually when I stiff someone they would just say, gosh, darn, you, you know, you stiffed me. You're killing me. Uh, nobody ever stiffed me back. I, I don't know if it was a respect factor or right. what it was, but, uh, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty stiff in the ring. I was, yeah. you know, I, I, I laid it in and, uh, you know, a lot of guys knew that beforehand. So, uh, and they respected me and, sure. You know, I, I never, never hurt anybody or tried to hurt anybody. Actually, I did hurt one person, Bob Holly. I moonsaulted and I landed on his wrist and broke it. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I've been pretty uh, injury uh, free with my opponents. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I was, I was very snug, and mm. uh, the boys respected me, and it, it, there wasn't a problem. Yeah. Well, and as a as a guy that's I don't know how many hundreds of live wrestling matches and events I've been to is it you know you you would watch those people and it, it, you know that the, the performers that were totally in and bought in and believed in what they were doing too that there was a night and day difference between that and the guys half-assing it. You, you know, it just it shows. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to you got to look as real as possible. You have to you know, you have to make the fans believe it's real. Um, even, you know, and most of it is not real. I mean, the bumping's real, you know, the slamming. Uh, but, you know, all the punches and kicks, you know, you, you pull them. And uh, But it's, you know, it's a great art. It's, uh, you, you have to perfect it. It's a craft. Uh, like anything else, you know, a career that you have. And uh, I... I I crafted pretty well. I, I picked it up quickly and, um, I, you know, the psychology took a while. I, I, you know, my first world title, I beat the rock. I still didn't know what I was doing. I was only, I started on TV 10 months prior. So I was only, uh, training and, and, uh, wrestling for a year and 10 months. And, mm -hmm. uh, he had to call the whole match to me in the ring. It was, <laughs> and, you know, but after that, I started picking, up the psychology and, and learning uh, you know how to uh, map out the match and get the fans more interested and intrigued yeah 
Well, Kurt, before we give you the final words of an encouragement for those that are maybe entering sobriety or through recovery, trying to maintain it, especially during these these COVID times, we've been seeing a, a lot of folks uh, relapsing. And that's, you know, that's the group we're always trying to reach when we talk to them and, and tell these great stories. We like to ask some fun rapid fire questions. I mean, you know, just kind of think off the top of your head and uh, have fun with it. All right. Yeah. You're up, Mikey. Okay. If you could travel anywhere in time, but you had to stay there, where would it be and why? So it could be the past, the future, a particular place. Oh, gosh. I would say uh, that's tough. <laughs> I would say the, the day Jesus was born. Wow. I would love to be back then. And why is yeah, that? Yeah, seeing that. Uh, I'm a Christian and a big believer in God and Jesus, and uh, always am fascinated by it. And uh, I, uh, you know, I read my my prayer book every day, and you know, I do sermons on Sunday. Uh, I I watch sermons on Sunday, uh, mostly because the churches have been closed up. Right, sure. It just started up, but um, so my 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 faith is you know the most important thing yeah. awesome so for, for yeah. a lot of people out there that are maybe entering sobriety oftentimes you know finding a sense of faith a higher power is an integral part of that now did you grow up with that or is it something you found when you started entering sobriety i grew up with it i was came from a christian family the you know the problem with um when i started taking drugs and drinking was i said god I will always have my relationship with you. But when I'm doing this over here, just ignore it. Mm. Um, you know, but I'll come back to you when I'm done. So I separated the two and didn't have, uh, you know, I had a different relationship with both of them, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a secret relationship on both sides. All right. And, uh, you know, I made the deal with God and, you know, he obviously steered me to sobriety because. <laughs> Here I am doing foolish shit, you know, <laughs> getting DUIs and, you know, just making mistakes left and right. And it just, uh, it was, it was really hard, but, you know, having your faith or a higher power, uh, definitely makes you humble and it keeps you focused on what you need to do to keep your life as good as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Here's one that we uh, we like to ask people. Do you have any pet peeves, just little things that irk the shit out of you? <laughs> My kids. <laughs> <laughs> right? We love them, but boy, yeah. sometimes, like, I need a break from you. <laughs> Especially during the virus. This has been a really rough year. Yeah. And, um, but... Um, you know what? I don't have any pet peeves. I, I don't get easily annoyed. I'm pretty easy to get along with. So I, I would love to tell you I do, but I don't. Oh, yeah. shit. You can have some of mine, Kurt, because I got a shit. <laughs> Kurt, so are all six of the kids with you or, or are your first two kind of intermittent between you and the ex-wife? I mean, because I'm trying to, I couldn't so, imagine six in the house at one time. Well, no, two are in Tennessee. They're okay. my older kids. And then I have four here in Pittsburgh. Yes. That's even still a load full. <laughs> it is. And when the kids come up to visit, I mean, we have a full house. It's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. It's 
you know, I, we, we don't live in a really big house. So, sure. you know, four bedrooms and you got eight people, uh, that's, yeah. that's pretty harsh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I found as a dad, especially when I was married, I, I often went into the bathroom, even though I didn't have to use it just to get some time to myself. <laughs> it's like, are you okay? <laughs> no, nah, must have ate something at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what I do? I do. I, I, I always, during the day, I go to the gym and work out and I spend like two hours doing errands or just focusing on something else other than my family. Because, you know, being here all day and night and the kids be doing virtual school and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you just get tired of each other and, you know, you start getting... You know, you start arguing and, you know, you know, nipping at each other. And uh, so I try to keep it fresh by leaving the house for a couple hours, coming back and, you know, hoping that the kids missed me or I missed them, <laughs> which is not not usually the just wasn't you know, long enough. <laughs> not usually the case. <laughs> right. But, you know, right. it keeps my sanity to, to break away for a little bit. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. All right. Kurt, what's your favorite curse word? If you use any, some people, you know, <laughs> um, I would say shit. Shit, yeah, that's a good and, one. It's uh, my second favorite. <laughs> yeah, well, my 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 four year old daughter said it yesterday, and my wife oh. got pissed off at me. So <laughs> I, I need to stop saying it. I said the f word once, and she said it too. My daughter. Oh <laughs> no. Like, um, I never say the f word, but I it blurted out. <laughs> I dropped something and I went, Fuck. <laughs> and my little daughter said the same thing. I was like, oh my God. See, I, I don't have any kids. I just, I have two nephews and a niece and we're very close. My immediate family and I, we're all super close. So when they say like, ah, fuck, or something like that, like I have to look away because I'm trying not to laugh. You know what I mean? And I don't want to encourage them because I don't want to be that uncle. You know what I mean? I'm not going to. I'm not going to laugh because that'll just encourage him to do it more. And I'm also not going to be the, it's like, Hey mom, dad, that's handle that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Are you married? I'm single. No kids. Okay. Living the dream. You say fuck in front of your kid. (laughs) Your wife's going to go nuts on you. Yeah. (laughs) It's like mine did. (laughs) Yeah. Cause uh, you know, um, I try not to let anything fly in front of the kids and I think their mom does too. But I remember the time it was, uh, not that long ago, my daughter comes home. She's 10 from her friends next door. And Sophia, you're late. Ah, oh, dad, shit, I'm sorry. Excuse me? And I, I, I had to <laughs> hold it to not laugh because it was funny coming out, you know. Yeah. My little angel, you know. Well, it but, was like second nature, like she says it all the time. Well, yeah. shit, dad. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had to talk. Well, shit, dad, my bad. You're Fuck. not saying it in front of your friends or anything, right? Um, okay, this is a fun one, Kurt. If you could have dinner with just one person, living or not, who would it be and why? I've always been fascinated by Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah, um, of course. Uh, I, I also fascinated by Mike Tyson, but I got to meet, meet Mike Tyson. I shot a commercial with him in October, and that was a, that was a treat for me. It was, I, I've always been into athletes, and those two had the biggest effect on my life. I actually read both of their books, and um, you know, Mike Tyson's Fire and Fear great book if you haven't read it it's it's really cool you you learn about his history yeah you know where he came from and it's pretty crazy Mm. but um i would love to 
pick uh, Ali's brain. Uh, just talk to him about, you know, what he did, not just as an athlete, but what he did as an ambassador and how he self-promoted himself and how he made his image the way he did. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, he's he's a really smart guy, very intelligent, and uh, I'd love to, you know, pick his brain on a lot of different things in life. Yeah. All right, Mike, Absolutely. one more. All right. What is something about you that people would be surprised to learn? Well, um, I listen to Christian music. I don't really listen to anything else. (laughs) Uh, I started that when I got out of rehab and, uh, I took the K Love Challenge. There you go. That's when you have to you try it for thirty days, and if you do it for thirty days, you should be able to be a regular. Right. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the other thing is, I, I'm a drummer. I, really? I, I love playing the. Yeah, yeah. I did it for twenty five years, so uh, I I enjoy that. I always wanted to be part of a band, but I was so busy in sport that I never had the opportunity. Well, as a guy that came from to start this uh, Knocking Doors Down podcast from 20 years of a rock radio program director and on-air guy, some of the favorite bands, who who's some of the favorite influences? Uh, let me see. You're talking about rock bands yeah. when I was growing up? What got you into Kiss. playing? Tr- Kiss. Nice. Kiss. Love bon Jovi, Van Halen, um, Ozzy Osbourne. Lot of rock, mm-hmm. lot of rock. I I turned into a um, pop music lover in the '90s and uh, started listening to uh, you know just a lot of hot chicks like Paul Abdul and <laughs> Jim Jackson and um, you know Alanis Morissette and uh, I love Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah, I, I loved her style. Yeah, she was you know. She's a hippie, but she's, she's jagged little cool. pill. I love that album. That was yeah. <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Uh, it was great '90s music. Yes, yes. So uh, there's so much great music in the '90s. That's for sure. Yeah. All right, Kurt. Well, uh, we like to always leave the guests with the final words of encouragement for those that are either in recovery, looking to mo- maintain their sobriety, or maybe those uh, heading towards it, or maybe you're an inspiration to them and they got a family member. Um, what do you want to throw out there for, for people? Most important thing is um, if you are having a problem with alcohol and drugs, don't isolate yourself. Don't, don't lock yourself out from other people with relationships. Uh, you need to seek help and you, you're not going to do it alone. And, uh, you know, anybody that's been hiding it and uh, can't, uh, kick the habit uh you need to tell somebody and you need to do something about it it's not going to go away and uh, it's only going to get worse and it'll continue to get worse until you die Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's the only outcome if you don't get off your addiction if you don't overcome your addiction you are going to die and uh, it's it's pretty sad that you know a lot of people uh, do isolate themselves because they don't want anybody to know that they're doing it or they, you know, they, they want to get high alone, but it's, you know, you, you can't, you, you need people to help. You need a good support system, your family, your friends, uh, a good program, you know, AA program. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a rehab center, 
look thoroughly and see one that can relate to you the most. And I think uh, the, the best advice I could give is you got to tell somebody you can't keep this a quiet. You can't keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anything Perfect. else, Mikey? No, Kurt, thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure talking to you. It's, you know, thank you're a legend, you. so it's awesome to have you on here, man. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the time. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Kurt. Hope to speak to you again. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams, and working hard. Always striving to make those dreams a reality. We believe life's too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road ahead that you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. Listeners of Knocking Doors Down, head over to 5150LTM.com. That website again, 51FIFTYLTM.com. We're back inside the 5150 studios. What a pleasure it was speaking with Kurt Angle. It's just so weird watching him on TV when you're a kid and talking to him now. Hello, sir, because that dude is freaking yoked. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Uh, He's still in phenomenal shape, but uh, of course, as you can hear from his routine that he has to go through to keep in that shape, it's uh, nothing short of extraordinary because you would think at that peak of taking those 65 Vicodin, drinking a 12-pack of beer, beer, along with Xanax and everything else that he was doing to his body, um, that it would just shut down. And, uh, you know, a man who's been through some real hardships too, losing not only his father, David Schultz's mentor, his sister to a heroin overdose, but yeah. uh, it really just had a positive outlook on life and really embracing it and just loving what it is. And just an example that any of us that were struggling, no matter what it is, it may not be addiction, that we can build the life we want, but the work's got to be put in. And obviously, you know, he succeeded with the WWE and whatnot, but coming from the whole getting the offer from Vince originally, then turning it down, then going back for a lesser offer, it's like, oh, but he made it work because dude's a legend. Even, you know, before wrestling, he was a, or before WWF, rather, he was a legend for getting a gold medal, but now he's definitely a WWE legend, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, we thank you guys all for listening. Again, if you have yet to subscribe to us on uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to or our YouTube channel, make sure you check those links in the description. And don't forget, you can also go there to pick up the 5150 gear, Lifestyle with the Purpose, Live the Madness. Click that link to 5150LTM.com. Anything else, Mikey? Yes. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on our YouTube as well. And other than that, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, suggestions, or correction of errors.
Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.